The White House that, just about any way you look at it, is a picture of turbulence, turmoil, and yes, chaos. Oh, someone make it end, please. Make it end. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on KSO. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on many fine affiliates, including the uh, Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, I'm a little bit out of breath, Desi Doyen, uh, <laughs> trying to just keep up with uh, what everything that's going on. Uh, plus, uh, the uh, uh, reporter from the AP called. Oh, yes. They're working on a uh, an, ele- an election integrity story, I am told. That's awesome. Asking uh, for some quotes there. So I'm running behind uh, in every way possible today. So you're, you're just going to have to uh, float me throughout this show, <laughs> as you do every day, Desiree. Uh. I know there is a lot going on. Uh, The utter chaos continues from this White House and everything surrounding it. And we will get to at least some of that. We'll see how much time how much time we have for it as uh, frankly, I think we'd have to go to a 12 hour show just to keep up with what happens from moment to moment. I know. So first, though, let's start uh, with uh, our way out of what I regard to be this national emergency that this country is now in. First step out, the 2018 midterm elections in which Democrats hope to take back control of one or both chambers of Congress. First stop on that path turns out to be your home state of Texas, Desiree. Well, you got to start somewhere. Texas on Tuesday uh, is where the first 2018 midterm primaries of the year were held. And even uh, and, and we've now got some reported results of how things went for Democrats and Republicans alike on Tuesday. Even if much of even that, even that is getting buried by all the noise surrounding a White House scandal, incompetence, corruption and, and chaos. So uh, let's try to not get distracted by all of that for at least a few moments here. Uh, Here is a bit of what happened on Tuesday in Texas. Women 
Women running for Congress surged to big wins and Democrats smashed recent turnout levels in Texas in the first in the nation 2018 primary elections on Tuesday, giving Republicans a potential glimpse of what's ahead in the first midterms under President Donald Trump, according to the Associated Press, energy Uh, I'm sorry, energized and angry Democrats in Texas, where the GOP has dominated for decades, came out in force on Tuesday to surpass one million voters and to eclipse midterm primary participation totals unseen in the Lone Star State since 1994. Equally striking was the showing by women on the ballot of the nearly 50 women running for Congress in Texas. More than half won their primaries outright or advanced to runoffs. So the women did very well at the uh, at the ballot box Fantastic. on Tuesday. What's more, at least three of the, those uh, those runoffs, which will be held in late May, will feature women going head to head with each other including a key race for Democrats in their bid to take control of the U.S. House this fall. Not all women who are on the ballot in Texas, however, fared uh, all that well. Kathleen Wall, a Republican megadonor and a self-styled female Donald Trump. That's how she refers to herself. Uh, In Houston, she pumped $6 million of her own money into her own race for Congress. Six million dollars. That's a lot of money for a for a house race. But she failed to survive in a a nine person field in that district, despite outspending all the other candidates and having the backing of the Republican Texas Republican governor, Greg Abbott. Wall spent more uh, more than four million to win the second district seat being vacated by GOP Congressman Ted Poe, according to Washington Post. But she appears poised to miss the runoff with all precincts reporting uh, as of Wednesday. Wall trailed the second place candidate there by 145 votes. So she could still make the uh, runoff, basically, if uh, one of the candidates does not get more than 50 percent in a Texas primary. Then the top two vote getters will go to the uh, 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 to the primary in May. So Wall to could... To primary runoff. To, to, to the primary runoff, okay, yes, thank it. you, in May. Uh, and then whoever wins that runoff goes to the general election in November. So Wall could still make the runoff. Uh, absentee votes are still being counted, but she already appears to have spent roughly $350 for every vote that she received. Uh, and uh, that's before even another costly election if she were to have to go to a runoff here uh, and then, of course, the general election in November. So um, people seem to be counting her out. We'll see how it goes with the absentee ballots. Her failure was also a potential warning sign, however, on the on the limits of Republicans going all in on Donald Trump this year. She had staked her candidacy on on TV ads that told voters that there was little daylight between her and the president. And that didn't go over all that well, at least in her race in Texas. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, so far, so good, because it's not completely decided. But yeah. For all the talk of renewed Democratic energy heading into 2018, Texas Republicans also set a new benchmark for turnout in a midterm election. More than one and a half million people voted Tuesday in the Republican primary 
for U.S. Senate, which was won by incumbent Ted Cruz. Uh, so that one and a half number, <clears throat> that, though that's just uh, one and a half million, uh, that's just less than a 12 percent increase from the 2014 primary. So um, they saw their numbers go up on the Republican side, um, not nearly as much as the Democrats saw their numbers go up. The turnout uh, for Democrats was over a million voters. That was higher than any non-presidential year primary in 24 years in Texas. But please note that um, that one and a half million that the Republicans had on that primary on Tuesday was still more than the Democrats got with their just over one million that turned out to vote on the Democratic side. So Democrats shouldn't get too excited about turning Texas blue, at least not just yet. Democrats did show up despite the long odds this November of ousting statewide Republicans like Ted Cruz. Many women ran in um, a record eight open congressional races this year in Texas, two of which are up for grabs after longtime Republican incumbents abandoned plans for reelection amid scandal. For Republicans, the primary was a vivid exhibition says uh, AP here, of the Trump effect on GOP politics. George P. Bush. Remember him? Oh, yeah. George W.'s nephew. It's Jeb's. Yeah, Jeb's Jeb's son. son, right? Uh, He's the Texas land commissioner. He won a contested primary after he cozied up to Donald Trump, who once called his dad Jeb a pathetic person. So how pathetic is Jeb's son? And George W. Bush's nephew, even after all of those attacks on his own family by Donald Trump. And uh, Jeb is not the only uh, Bush that uh, Donald Trump has attacked in uh, in recent years. Even after all of that, George P. still cozied up to him anyway. Of course he did. Those are the uh, respectable Republicans of the Bush family that for some reason even Democrats have been approving of in recent approval polling of W, which is just remarkable to me. Uh, How easily Democrats seem to forget. Well, not just that, but let's talk about how easily George P. Bush forgot that Trump attacked his dad. Those those Bush family values. They don't care. Nope. they don't care. Uh, power at all costs. Uh, Ted Cruz, for his part, dismissed talk of a Democratic takeover this fall. He said, quote, left wing, left wing rage may raise a bunch of money from people online, but I don't believe it reflects the views of a majority of Texans. He told reporters Democrats will have a tough time winning statewide races in November, despite the Trump effect. They have uh, fielded uh, little-known candidates against top Republicans in those statewide races. Um, for example, Governor Abbott will uh, face either Lupe Valdez, who was Texas's first Hispanic lesbian sheriff, or Andrew White, uh, who opposes abortion on the uh, Democratic side and whose father, Mark, was governor in the 1980s. They will head to the, uh, to the runoff in May. But while Democratic, uh, the Democratic Party got nearly double the number of votes it did in 2014's primary, the party itself faces divides in uh, in this upcoming May runoff. Increases in Democratic turnout were uh, most pronounced in urban and suburban areas, 
where the party is hoping to reclaim House seats now held by Republicans, but that does not necessarily translate into uh, to wins in November as races without a clear winner will be going to these runoffs on May 22nd and are already laying bare intra-party disagreements that we uh, discussed last week on this show with uh, Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny. For example, in the Houston area's 7th District, where incumbent John Culberson is uh, seeking re-election and thought to be very vulnerable in a district that was won by Hillary Clinton in 2016. Four times as many Democrats voted this year than they did in 2014. But that race has instead uh, ended up showcasing divides within the Democratic Party itself between establishment-backed and more progressive candidates before the primary, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, moved against one of those candidates, as we talked with uh, Howie yeah. about, uh, against Laura Moser. An uh, unprecedented move. As far as I know, yeah, to attack a Democrat like that in a primary. Uh, they were claiming that uh, she would be less equipped to defeat Culberson in the general election. Well, Moser ended up with 24 percent of the vote. She will go to the runoff. She is set to face Houston lawyer Lizzie Peniel Fletcher, she, who got 29 percent of the vote. Uh, so they're going to go to a runoff together. GOP operatives have been happily watching this drama unfold. The Washington Post reports on Tuesday, the National Republican Congressional Campaign Committee, that's the uh, the NRCC, that's essentially the Republican version of the DCCC, they put out a new ad touting a democratic civil war, highlighting the DCCC's Texas attack. Democrats uh, fielded 111 congressional candidates on Tuesday, 111 that includes at least one for each of the 36 House districts in the state. That is more than two and a half times the 41 candidates in the last midterm election back in in uh, in 2014. Republicans also had more candidates than uh, in 2014, but they failed to run anyone in four different Democratic leaning districts. So in those cases where the Democrat won uh, straight out and I'll get to a couple of those races here in a moment, um, but where those Democrats won, then. They're essentially going to uh, they're going to Congress. There yeah, will be no runoff. It would seem to validate Howard Dean's 50 state strategy back in the 2000s when he was chair of the Democratic National Committee. And he said, we need to have someone in every race, a Democrat in every race. So it looks like if you put somebody up, they got a pretty good the, chance. The of voters doing will well. come. Well, we yeah. will see. I guess we have to wait till November to see how that goes. But it's certainly a goosed turnout. Well, you can't for win. The Democrats. You can't win any election or any seat when you don't put up a candidate. Washington Post notes that one trend was clear across the state: the best financed candidates, in several cases, could not buy themselves victory. That right there. I would say maybe very good news, not just for Democrats, frankly, but for American voters, period. Yeah. So uh, drilling down a bit deeper here on the progressive Democratic side, as reported by Down With Tyranny's Howie Klein, uh, who, I, as noted, joined us last week to discuss some of these Texas races where progressives were facing off against more conservative establishment Democrats in Texas. Uh, the, how he also focuses on the failure of uh, some of the big self-funded candidates as well 
uh, as the Washington Post does, uh, many of whom were supported by the uh, the very conservative uh, DCCC, which is comprised of, let's say, moderate to conservative House Democrats who are trying to uh, to win back a majority there. So Howie reports that the biggest self-funder in the state, Republican Trump wannabe Kathleen Wall, we mentioned her earlier, uh, in that open Texas uh, seat in the 2nd District, didn't even make it into the runoffs. The Republican had spent $6 million of her own money, and she came in third so far. At the same time, the biggest Democratic self-funder, guy by the name of Tahir Javed, also lost badly, didn't make it into the runoff either. So uh, he says, don't you love it when plutocrats try to buy house seats and they go down in flames. Yeah, I like that. Well, you would. <laughs> you're just mean that way. <laughs> the uh, weirdest congressional race, he said, was that uh, race in West Houston, the 7th District of Texas, where Laura Moser had been lagging in the absentee ballots. It didn't even look like she was going to be going to a runoff at all. And then she was savagely attacked by the DCCC and everything turned around for her. Gosh, it kind of backfired, didn't it? Kind of, yeah, a whole lot. Um, he says people hate the DC, the DCCC and their vile tactics so much that she jumped ahead after that attack, and she wound up beating the other progressive candidate that uh, Howie's group, the uh, Blue America Pack, had endorsed. That's Dr. Jason Weston. Uh, and he was a good candidate, by the way. A uh, world-renowned uh, cancer doctor. Uh, who said enough is enough. He's going to run for office, but it looks like he did not make it this year. Uh, also, uh, she ended up beating the uh, the DCCC's own favorite, Alex Triantaphilus, I think is how you say his name, Triantaphilus. I don't know how you say it. Uh, so I'm glad that, uh, that he lost because I could have never pronounced it. <laughs> so uh, this runoff is going to be between Laura Moser and uh, who he describes, a candidate he describes as the anti-union Emily's List corporate dem named Lizzie Fletcher. Organized Labor has already made it clear they're going to support Moser in this race against Fletcher in the runoff and then again against uh, the Republican Culberson in November. Over in El Paso, in the 16th district, the progressive candidate Veronica Escobar beat a corporate dem self-funder by the name of Dory Fennenbach. To replace Beto O'Rourke, he is uh, taking on Ted Cruz for the U.S. Senate in November. He was a, a congressman, and now he looks to be the uh, the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate in the great state of Texas this year. The uh, This particular district um, has a what they call a, a partisan vote index of Democrat plus 17. So it's a very Democratic district. There is no serious Republican challenger. Against uh, Escobar, which means that Texas has just elected to Congress, in effect, its first Latina. She got uh, more votes. She got more votes, uh, more than 30,000. She got more votes than the uh, Republicans in the race and Fennenbach, her Democratic opponent, uh, combined. So no runoff in this race. So she's... she's Looks like she's going to Congress. She's going to yeah. make it to November, and hopefully yep. the, the turnout holds true in November as well. Uh, I'm not even sure. Yeah, I guess she will have a content, uh, uh, someone she's going up against, but they, how he says, not a serious contender. Another right. district with no runoff will be Texas's 36th, which is east of Houston. Progressive Dana Steele trounced her Democratic opponent with over 70 percent of the vote. 
and will face off against who Howie calls the lunatic extremist Republican Brian Babin in November. In the Austin-San Antonio corridor in the 21st District of Texas, three progressives battled conservative ex-Republican Joseph Kopster, and Howie puts the word X in quotes as if to suggest that this conservative Democrat may still be more of a Republican than a Democrat, even though he ha- it now has a D by his name. But the runoff will include one of the progressives, Mary Wilson. Uh, she took uh, first place uh, with about 30 percent of the vote and the copser, the ex-Republican, came in second. So they will face off. Uh, the other essential race he, he cites is the 23rd congressional district in Texas, stretching from San Antonio suburbs south along the Rio Grande to the suburbs of El Paso. The DCCC candidate Jay Hewlings, a blue dog and a new Dem, who is pushed by the Castro machine. You know the Castro machine in Texas? You mean uh, Mayor Juan, Julian? Uh, yeah, Juan and, uh, and, and Julio. Julian. Julian, Julian, Julian uh, Castro. Castro. Yeah, the twin brothers. Um, they're One very, is mayor, the other's representative. I get them mixed up. Uh, they're very popular among the establishment Democrats. Uh, they both, uh, they're both from Texas. Uh, Hewlings, uh, who, who, the, the DCCC-supported candidate, came in third failed to make the runoff, which will now consist of Gina Jones and a fierce Bernie Kratt by the name of Rick Trevino. The winner of that runoff will face the mainstream uh, GOP incumbent Will Hurd this fall. Um, another heavily Democratic district south of uh, south of Houston's uh, 29th district where Democratic Congressman Gene Green is retiring. Uh, in effect, they also elected another Latina, Sylvia Garcia, who pulverized Tahir Javed. He's the one who had spent some $800,000 of his own money in this race. And uh, there is no serious Republican challenger in that very Democratic-leaning district, which I think Hillary won by about 20 points. So that is now two Texas Latinas who appear to be going to Congress in uh, 2019 for so, the first time. So it's possible that Texas cannot have just one of its first Latina Congress people ever, but, but two? two at the same time. What? I know. Uh, so uh, we, we will see. Uh, she, uh, by the way, uh, Garcia took 63 percent of the vote over the uh, self-funder guy, the uh, Tahir, uh, Tahir Javed. Uh, he only got 20 percent. She got six. So she beat him 63 to 20 percent. Wow. And uh, he says the last race we're following uh, north of Desi's uh, former hometown of Dallas in the 32nd district uh, had seven Democrats vying to challenge Pete Sessions in a district that gets a little less red by the day. Mm-hmm. Hillary uh, Hillary Clinton narrowly beat Trump there. The top two vote-getters are Colin Allred and Lillian Salerno, uh, the progressive Blue America-backed de- uh, candidate. That's uh, Howie's uh, PAC, uh, Lillian Salerno. Both worked in the Obama administration. He says Salerno is, a, is, a, is more the progressive and Allred is more of the moderate, the heavily funded establishment candidate, a Hillary Clinton person named Ed Meyer. He came in fourth. Hmm. So uh, women did well. Progressives did well. Establishment and self-funders 
did not do so well. Democrats uh, turned out in record numbers, though still not large enough numbers to necessarily win statewide races in the Lone Star State. But we'll see. We've got a lot of havoc and a lot of chaos and a lot of disaster uh, scheduled by the Trump administration (laughs) uh, between now and then. So a lot can still change. We'll also have to see if Democratic voters are smart enough to come together even after what could be uh, bruising runoff races in Texas with progressive candidates facing off against more conservative Democrats who are likely to be supported by the DCCC. So, for example, will the DCCC do more of what they did last week when they attacked Laura Moser in Texas um, within the 7th District with you know, what will all, almost uh, certainly be used, whatever they attack her with will almost certainly be used by her prog- by her Republican opponent this November if she's lucky enough to win. Yeah, it's a very, very dangerous and sensitive place to be. You know, I'm, it, if on the one hand, it's good to work out those differences now. But on the other hand, as you say, depending upon how the DCCC decides to play it, they could severely damage whatever candidate uh, ends up winning. This is what primaries are for. You're supposed to have it out. Um, You know, Karl Rove developed the idea that you're not just supposed to oppose your candidate, you're supposed to destroy them. Uh, And I'm none too happy to see Democrats sort of picking up on, uh, well, you know, Karl Rove tactics tactics that have really become the way our elections are run now uh, on uh, all sides of the aisle. You can't just beat your opponent. You can't challenge them. You can't go out and say, my positions are better than yours, and here's why. You have to destroy them. And for the DCCC to play into that seems kind of dumb. I'm hoping that the blowback that they received after attacking Moser, who probably would not have made the runoff at all, had it not been for this uh, for them. this attack by the D-Trip and this response from progressives who were angry about, you know, Washington Democrats coming in and intruding in our uh, in our Texas elections. Yeah. But we will see. Uh, as to the uh, problems at the polling place and the accuracy of any of the results being reported so far, well, much of Texas uses 100 percent unverifiable direct recording electronic or uh, DRE, usually touchscreen systems. Though in Texas, most of them use a little dial, a little cursor wheel instead of a touchscreen, but they are equally unverifiable in those cases. The reported results from those races, uh, for example, in Houston, Harris County, where I believe they still use those 100 percent unverifiable machines. We will never actually know who won any of these races, who won or lost. We have to take the computer's word for it. There were a number of reported problems with, as usual, with both electronic voting systems and electronic poll books, as well as confusion after polling locations had been had uh, had been changed in a number of areas for some reason. And uh, as I often note, most of the the worst problems and the concerns about results uh, don't necessarily come to light until the days and weeks after an election. I always have to remind folks of this after Election Day. Sometimes we hear about them. Uh, and uh, as is usually the case, corporate media ha- helps to downplay any such problems as little more than hiccups, glitches, snags, and snafus. You know, nothing to worry about, just a glitch, just a hiccup, just a snag, uh, even though they often result in voters not being able to uh, not being able to vote 
not being able to participate in their own democracy. To, to me, those are not hiccups and glitches and snags and snafus. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with some of those hiccups, glitches, snags and snafus out of Houston. And then we will return, if we have time, to some of the Washington, D.C. chaos. Because I guess I'm a glutton that way. I'm Brad Friedman, your glutton, and this is your broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Trouble. Yes, it is. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As usual, uh, a number of voters, we don't know yet how many, uh, had problems on Tuesday thanks to the terrible voting systems used across used across much of the state of Texas. And um, as I noted before the break, you know, the corporate media just sort of plays along with election officials to downplay these things. It's just a hiccup. It's just a glitch. It's just a snag or a snafu. And uh, but what happens is people don't get to vote. I consider it much more than a hiccup, a glitch, a snag or a snafu when a voting system means that someone cannot cast their vote or that vote does not get counted. Um, I, I consider that to be a disaster, frankly. Now, well, that's disenfranchisement. We, yep. And we, we, we don't yet know. It always takes a while for the details to come out about how bad things actually were. So we've just got a few examples here, uh, again, of the uh, both the me uh, some of these problems and the media downplaying it. For example, in Houston. The uh, Chronicle reported on Election Day uh, in an article headlined few problems in uh, first hours of Harris County primary voting. And then they went on to list a whole bunch of problems, <laughs> which is, is how these articles. Were. I mean, you can search on uh, Election Day or the day after election. search for the word hiccups, glitches, snags and snafus where they'll uh, downplay these problems and then they'll tell you how they are. So here's just a, just a few of them. Uh, let's see. As of 11 a.m., a little bit after 11 a.m., the line extended out through the doors of a tucked away building at the First Baptist Church in the Heights on Tuesday morning. Uh, after and I guess that's in Houston, after an hour of headaches, getting the voting machines going. A poll worker at the Democratic precinct said the machines on one half of the room were operational by 7.20 a.m., but the other side of the room wasn't up and running until nearly 8 a.m. So that's a full hour of voting. 
So for people who have to, you know, work during the day, uh, that's a full hour of voting. They may not be able to uh, stick around for that extra hour. Yeah, if you've ever driven in Houston, you know the traffic is insane. It is one of the worst places to drive in the nation. So if you can't get in... And that's, by... saying, that's coming from someone who lives in Los Angeles. Yes, so, that's yeah. true. So, you know, it's it's really bad. If you cannot get in, then you have to leave by a certain time just to be able to get to work on and, time. And and by 11, this is actually 11.18 a.m. This is time-stamped from the Chronicle... Uh, there was still a line extending out of the door, even by 11, uh, 11, 18 a.m. in a primary election, which is, uh, you know, much low, even though we had big turnout from both, uh, especially from Democrats, but also from Republicans. But that's by way of comparison to previous primary elections. So if they're having that much trouble on a primary, if they're, the line is extending out the door at 1120 a.m., <clears throat> in a primary, what are we going to be looking at in these runoffs? What are we going to be looking at in November? It's shameful. Uh, by noon, they have another item here. Alice Marin showed up to vote on Election Day, but her plans were derailed when she learned that her polling location had changed. She was one of dozens of people at the Ripley neighborhood centers in the East End who were directed to other polling sites once they showed up, according to an election judge. Marin who is 76 years old and mm. uses a cane, mm. said she wanted to vote for uh, Sylvia Garcia for U.S. Congress and the Democrat who's running for the U.S. Senate. But now she said, uh, but now they report she won't cast a vote. She said, I don't have transportation over there to the other polling place where they had apparently moved her polling place to. I don't have transportation over there, she said, so I'm not going to vote. I can't get on a bus because of my feet and I don't drive. Just a few problems, few problems reported in Harris County. And this is just <clears throat> in Harris County. Yeah, this is just Harris County, just in, in one precinct, just a few of these precincts here. Another voter at that same precinct expressed similar sentiment early in the morning, saying he had taken the bus and wouldn't be doing that again to get to his new polling site, according to poll workers. A volunteer at the precinct, however, offered him a ride, which he accepted, uh, uh, J.L. Cassiano, an election judge at the site who saw the exchange, said, unfortunately, we've had to turn away a lot of voters. It's discouraging a lot of people from voting. Cassiano said 46 voters had cast ballots by 1130 that day, and the precinct had turned away a total of 35 voters Nearly. who came to the, long, uh, to the wrong location. Wow. And a handful uh, said that they did not think that they would vote. Joaquin Sarez, uh, 70 years old, entered, uh, encountered Cassiano, the election judge, in the parking lot where she was assisting uh, a curbside voter. Uh, Sarez, a retired welder, sat in his idling pickup truck. He said he was trying to find his location since he hadn't been able to look it up online. A few minutes later, David Vargas, 63-year-old, came down the stairs saying that he, too, had come to the wrong place. He lives about four blocks away was unsure how to find his new polling location. He said, I just wanted to vote. I'll have to find out where it is. You know, what the hell is going on that they can't, that they're failing to reach that many voters in the state of Texas to tell them where their polling place is? You know, they require in Texas uh, this strict photo ID, uh, voter ID uh, when you go to vote. 
the voter has to come up with very specific things. But the folks who run our elections, they can even be uh, counted on to reach registered voters and tell them where their polling place is. Election judges at the four points by uh, by Sheraton at the four points. It's a hotel four points by Sheraton told the Chronicle earlier in the afternoon that multiple voting machines on the Democratic side and only apparently on the Democratic side were not working and said the room assigned to the party was significantly smaller than their counterparts. At uh, nearly uh, 2 p.m., an equipment snag slowed voting at the Monty Beach Community Center. Uh, This was, and and they describe it as a minor problem that an official with the Harris County Clerk's Office said should not have actually stopped anyone from voting. Precinct uh, Chair Don Quintero, however, said that the long lines at the precinct were because both of the electronic poll book machines were installed incorrectly, thus meaning there was... No backup for voters to use. Of course, they could have just signed in on paper in a poll book, but we have to make everything difficult when it comes to elections for some reason, especially in Texas, but many other states as well. We have to have electronic poll books. Just add something else, another moving part that can go wrong on a mission-critical election day. There are no do-overs in elections. Um... State Senator um, Sylvia Garcia uh, waited in line for about an hour and 15 minutes when she was finally able to cast her ballot. She's running in the uh, she was running uh, in the uh, Democratic primary for the 29th congressional district. So even the candidate had to stand in line for an hour and 15 minutes. First thing in the morning, she said she'll be filing a formal complaint. So similar polling issues don't happen again like that. She said, One voter not being able to vote because of this hiccup (laughs) is too much. She said it's unacceptable. And again, remember, this was only for the primary. Imagine what will happen in the runoffs and in November. Yeah, it depends on whether or not elections officials in Texas are paying attention to this huge red flag, this gigantic flashing warning sign that says, hey, get your act together. This is not a warning sign. They are all fine with this. A few problems reported by Harris County. Elections officials, remember? It's yep. it's not a problem. It's a problem for you if you're one of those voters, who, however, who does not get to cast your vote. It's also a problem for you if your vote is not counted and counted accurately. But we can't know because in Harris County, they use 100% unverifiable electronic voting systems. All right. So uh, moving on to other chaos, that's uh, who's next week? We'll see. Uh, oh, I think the uh, the big there's an actual U.S. House special election next Tuesday in Pennsylvania. Oh, right. And whatever other uh, nightmares await us, no doubt we will cover them next week. Um, meantime, on yesterday's show, we started off the show in the morning uh, talking about Donald Trump's um, tweet saying that there was no chaos in his White House. Remember that? <laughs> yes. And then that was we like went a thousand on, years ago. Yeah, I know. And then we went on the rest of the show to talk about all the chaos that was happening just yesterday alone. Well, that tweet, in case you forgot, he said, people will always come and go, and I want strong dialogue before making a final decision. I still have some people that I want to change, always seeking perfection. Is that what they had? That's, <laughs> That's what he said, yeah. <laughs> 
There is no, and now we know that there weren't people he wanted to change. It was people who wanted to quit, namely his top economic advisor, Gary Cohn. In any case, he said, there is no chaos, only great energy. But that tweet uh, <laughs> was just uh, the curtain raiser, as CNN describes it, for a certifiably chaotic day. Uh, in Trump's presidency, uh, top aide was found to be in violation of a major ethics law. That was one of the stories we didn't get to cover. We'll try to hit it now real quick. Uh, of course, his top economic advisor, Gary Cohn, quit. And then uh, after we got off the air, <laughs> the, the chaos continued. Donald Trump was sued by a porn star and his administration sued the state of California in a widening fight over immigration. Other than that... Uh, no chaos. It's all going just fine. It is. Well-oiled machine. CNN also reported that uh, Trump appeared to be sowing discord within his own current ranks. He gave permission to the uh, now for one of the five now former communications directors, Anthony Scaramucci, gave him permission to go out and attack his own chief of staff, Donald Trump's own st chief of staff, John Kelly. And he has ordered John Kelly reportedly, to figure out how to push his own kids, his own uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and daughter, Ivanka Trump, out of the White House. Why? He can't just fire them. I don't know. But well, I think I know why. Other than that, why? Because he's a coward. Oh. Other than that, no discord. Um, so one of the so we had missed uh, Kellyanne Conway. We didn't get so let's hit her real quick. Uh, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel. This is different than Robert. This is not Special Counsel Robert Mueller. This is an, a specific office called the OSC, Office of Special Counsel. They announced uh, that White House Counselor, whatever that means, whatever she does, Kellyanne Conway had violated the Hatch Act. By quote, advocating for and against candidates in last year's Alabama Senate special election while she was on cable news. Now, you cannot do that if you're in the federal government, if you're working for the federal government, you cannot, in this case, stand in from in front of the White House as a White House official and say, go vote for Republican Roy Moore in in the U.S. Senate. So uh, she uh, just blatantly violated the law. She apparently did it twice, according to the Office of Special Counsel. She violated the law that forbids officials from engaging in political activity in their government capacities with those comments that she made in television interviews last year about the uh, Alabama uh, U.S. Senate election. The report was sent to President Donald Trump. And it will now be up to him, according to the uh, Hatch Act, according to the law. It'll now be up to the president to decide what, if any, action to take against Kellyanne Conway. One of the few advisors uh, hired, brought on early in the administration that has yet to be fired or yet to quit. But now it's up to him. What, if any, punishment to give uh, to give Kellyanne She's a close aide. She managed his she was a, a, one of the managers for his 2016 presidential campaign. The White House, of course, disputed the findings of the Office of Special Counsel. Kellyanne Conway did not advocate for or against the election of any particular candidate. The White House said she simply expressed the president's obvious position that he have people in the House and Senate who support his agenda. Kerner 
Uh, he's the uh, special counsel here. Kerner determined that she broke the law during two different interviews, one on Fox, one on CNN. She appeared in her official capacity as she boosted the candidacy of Roy Moore, Republican Roy Moore, and discussed why voters should not support his Democratic opponent, Doug Jones. Kerner said in the letter that during both interviews, she impermissibly mixed official government business with political views about candidates in the special election rate in the Alabama special election. It is the second time that Conway has been found to violate federal ethics laws through her public statements. You recall back in right after they took office, February of 2017, the Office of Government Ethics at the time said that Conway engaged in a clear violation of the prohibition against misuse of her position when she boosted first daughter Ivanka Trump's fashion lines. Remember oh, that? yeah, I remember that. She said, quote, go buy Ivanka's stuff. <laughs> she literally said that. Uh, in a Fox News interview, she said, I'm going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today. Everybody, you can find it online. You're not allowed to do that. Well, you're not allowed to do that. But if no one is holding anybody accountable for any of this, yeah. then it doesn't matter. Do the, line, the line has been obliterated. And if the corporate media isn't going to turn this into something to hold anybody literally accountable for anything or even ask them more than one time about it then I don't see how this ever changes. Walter Schaub, the uh, now uh, senior director at the Campaign Legal Center, he was until recently the director of the Office of Government Ethics. He's the one who found uh, that uh, Conway violated uh, ethics guidelines uh, with her uh, free Ivanka Trump commercials. Uh, He said the White House cannot continue to have one standard for the federal workforce generally and a lower standard for appointees who are close to this president. So that's why this is important, not only because Kellyanne did it and was caught doing it, but because it sends a message to any and all federal employees in all the federal agencies down in the workforce that they can use their office to advocate for political policies and and for candidates for office, even though it's a violation of the law. If Conway isn't uh, punished, why should anybody else be? And uh, and even after a second such instance, by the way. So, you know, why do you think anybody else in this entire administration is going to face any type of consequences uh, for similar actions? Um, Okay, yeah, I know I'm running late, ain't I? (laughs) Uh, uh, I mentioned that uh, Trump's uh, economic advisor, Gary Cohn, had resigned in the wake of uh, disagreements over Trump's decision to move forward with aluminum and steel tariff um, tariffs on those uh, imports on aluminum and steel. Well, CNN reports that in the days since Trump's surprise announcement about those tariffs, Gary Cohn um, had worked quietly to soften Trump's decision and to try to convince him to backtrack. And uh, this was a campaign that even Republicans Republican leaders, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan on Capitol Hill, they've all been trying to get him to back down on these tariffs and the ensuing trade war that will follow. But Trump um, learned of Cohen's efforts uh, to to try to convince Trump to go the other way. And he became angry uh, and made that clear, apparently, in the last 24 to 48 hours. Trump was surprised to learn that Cohen was working to arrange a meeting with representatives from the automobile industry and the bottling industry in an effort to demonstrate the effects that these steel and aluminum tariffs would have 
The president has said he's not interested in such a meeting. He did not want to meet with these uh, people from this industry, and he grew angry at what he saw as an attempt to to deter him from his plan. Uh, And so remember, this is the guy who said on Tuesday, I want strong dialogue on every side before I make a decision. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And yet he was angry. Uh, yeah, he doesn't want apparently information from his own top economic advisor or from the industries that would be most affected by this global trade war when that was brought to him. Yeah, he doesn't want any more facts. No, he doesn't. So he's uh, pretending he's lying when he says he wants strong uh, uh, dialogue on every side. Yeah. Uh, in any event, the Dow futures quickly plummeted on Wednesday, as we predicted they would on yesterday's show. The Dow plunged more than 300 points uh, at one point on Wednesday, but recovered a bit after Trump finally said near the end of the day that maybe he wouldn't include close trading partners like Canada and Mexico and the EU in the tariffs. He had previously insisted that um, that these tariffs would be across the board, that they would be long lasting. And so finally, he is maybe seeing the light well, he said, just, well, maybe we'll yeah. be a little bit more narrowly tailored. Here uh, key word here is maybe. Yeah. Although, you know, maybe he's going to do no tariffs at all. Uh, since he said that, I, you know, didn't believe a word he had to say. All right. Uh, two more uh, quick ones before we get to a break here. Um, let's see. Uh, OK. A lawsuit. The lawsuit filed by the porn star no- known as uh, Stormy Daniels. That happened after we went off the air. She claims that Trump never signed a hush money agreement regarding an alleged sexual encounter between the two of them, and therefore the agreement is void. She wants to tell her story now. Trump's lawyer instead, personal lawyer Michael Cohen and a business partner, he signed on to the agreement instead. Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, has uh, claimed to have had an affair with Trump several years prior to his presidency and was paid some $130,000 to shut up about it in the days right before the 2016 election. Uh, amidst multiple women coming forward to share their own stories about alleged encounters that they had, sexual encounters that they had had with the Uh, Then Republican presidential candidate Cohen intervened in this mess, tried to keep Clifford from uh, from coming forward. That worked for a while. But the lawsuit says that Cohen has continued his attempts at silencing Clifford, including as recently as uh, February, just last month, February 27. Uh, Cohen has said that uh, Trump vehemently denies any encounter between him and Clifford. And we also learned over the weekend, by the way, that Cohen had complained he's claiming that it was his money. Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. It was his money, this $130,000. But we had um, some reporting over the weekend, I think, losing track of time here, um, that uh, Cohen had complained after the election that he had yet to be reimbursed for that $130,000 that he gave to Clifford. Reimbursed by whom, Mr. Cohen? One more. Uh, This is uh, another example of the Trump administration's never-ending battles. Uh, The the Trump administration itself has now filed a federal lawsuit against the state of California and its top officials on Tuesday night to stop a cluster of so-called sanctuary state bills. 
By the way, I should say it's only fair that uh, Trump uh, is is suing the state of California because the state of California has successfully sued the Donald Trump administration uh, many times. So it's only fair. This latest suit is the uh, this law. This lawsuit is the latest broadside from the Trump administration against so-called sanctuary cities. Uh, term referring to localities that abide by some some measure of non-cooperation with federal law enforcement immigration officials. And that, they say, is uh, in, in no small part because if, uh, for example, uh, people who are undocumented immigrants come in to report a crime and those people then get reported to the federal authorities for deportation, that's going to keep people from coming in and reporting crimes yeah. and it's going to make those people in immigrant communities a target. Yes, much more vulnerable. It's a chilling effect. All right. Uh, I had more detail I wanted to get into on that. Uh, probably can't do it today. Looks like there's some other breaking news that we will hit after this break. If we have time, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Um, okay, we've looks like we've got some uh, some some bad and some good news here. Let's start with the bad news so that we at least finish off with a little bit of good news here at the end of our show. Um, police say, and this is just sort of breaking, so I don't have details on this, but from AP, they are reporting, uh, they reported about an hour ago that um, two students had been shot in what they describe as an accidental shooting at an Alabama high school. Um, that was, and uh, one of those students uh, had life-threatening injuries. I don't know. I think that makes our, what, 19th, 20th or, or more uh, school like shooting that. this year. Yeah. Um, we now have word from AP uh, via the police that uh, a 17-year-old girl, uh, one of the two victims there, has been killed in an accidental shooting at that Alabama high school. Don't have too much more on it now. That's the bad news. This, I think, is good news just breaking. This comes from Reuters reporting that Florida state lawmakers gave final passage on Wednesday to a gun safety package that raises the legal age for buying rifles in the state of Florida and imposes a three-day waiting period on all firearms sales while also allowing the arming of some public school personnel. The bill was spurred by the shooting rampage three weeks ago that left 17 dead, 17 students and, uh, and staff dead at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland and led to an extraordinary lobbying campaign by the young survivors. But the legislation, while containing a number of provisions that student activists and their parents had embraced, left out one of their chief demands, a ban on assault-style weapons 
like the one that was used in the February 14 massacre. Nonetheless, um, the National Rifle Association was uh, strongly opposed to raising the uh, to raising the age limit uh, for the age minimum, I guess, for buying uh, rifles in the state of Florida. And the very Republican uh, state legislature in Florida, nonetheless, appears to have stared them down and passed not only uh, an age increase uh, that you have to be 21 to buy these deadly weapons of mass destruction, uh, but also imposes a three-day waiting period in Florida on uh, on all firearm sales. Which is kind of a, I mean, I know it's just baby steps, but for Florida, these are these are very big baby steps. These are steps, huge, yeah. Uh, that would define the NRA like that, especially since the NRA had said that Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, was their number one A-plus, A-plus. favorite governor of all time Yeah, for all of the ways that he has expanded uh, access to guns and expanded just the number of guns in Florida. But, of course, he's running for—he uh, he will probably run for the U.S. Senate in Florida this year. And uh, these measures are wildly popular, even among NRA members, if not the NRA leadership. So, um, you know, that's some very good news. And I would say that it would not have happened, most likely, had it not been for the fierce advocacy uh, of, uh, of those kids at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Oh, hell yeah. So. And I think those kids at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas are also a signpost of, hey, look what's ha- look what happens when you fund education, mm. when you fund good yeah. schools with comprehensive extracurricular activities that make sure that kids are well-rounded. And, well, I guess that's why Republicans don't want to fund uh, education, because then you get kids who are civically engaged. So Chuck, one went up today, at least for the good guys. Way to go, uh, Marjorie uh, Stoneman Douglas. Uh, you, you, you made a difference already in the state of Florida. They've turned their grief into action. I tell them, hey, keep going. But I have a feeling I don't need to tell them that. All right. We got to get out. They know. Uh, my <laughs> thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is our great honor to have you here. Thank you. If you missed any portion of today's show. Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. I've had a number of uh, good listener mails that I've been trying to get to this week. Yeah, we'll see if I ever get there with everything that's going on. Uh, But that's bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the bradblog. And our thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription of any amount you like to help us continue to stay on your public airwaves and talk about uh, the stuff that, frankly, most people do not get to hear in this country over our public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.